All right. So, Matt, did you hear about um, Lego World recently reopening? No. Yeah, they just recently reopened after the shutdown and all that. People were lined up for blocks. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I, I've been better. Yeah. <laughs> we we were talking right before we, we hit the record button. That I, I'm falling apart. Yep, he's crumbling as we speak. I mean, old age is not a friend, a friend of mine. <laughs> I, I've I, I'm telling you, I've had I've had problems with my, my foot this week. I've you know, my, my blood pressure's too high. You know, now now the allergy season is hit. We found yep. out yesterday that it was the highest pollen count of the year yesterday. And, it it and must I have been now, here too. I, I'm paying the price today. Yep. So if you if you dig my new sexy radio voice, then <laughs> <laughs> it's thanks to thanks to pollen. Yeah, right. <laughs> this voice sponsored by Ragweed. <laughs> exactly so if i if i cough right in the middle well don't worry adam adam let it out yeah so. i got you uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my granddad used to say that getting old is a fatal mistake <laughs> <laughs> it is I, the older i get the more i tend to agree with him oh and and i want to add this uh for those of you playing along at home you know you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, dude, they're going to so, be, they're going to be drunk before the end of the episode. So we got to, so yeah, y'all should be good and drunk now. Yeah. I was going to say, just count all those as one for right now. Just, then continue playing after that. I mean, if not, you'll just have to go back and listen to the episode again to catch all the all the yeah, info you're, gonna have to, you're gonna you're gonna get lost oh yeah oh yeah you're you're not gonna be able to keep up you can't <laughs> pour them that fast you, you better have them lined up <laughs> some of them may who knows <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about uh a drinking game was made uh for graveyard tales and one of them is when matt says you know and another one is when i talk about poop or pooping myself so uh-huh I, I do the you know thing too, so I, I can't I can't say too much. It's a verbal well, crutch, people. Come on. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is that Adam and I are not broadcasters. We've we've obviously gotten a little bit more practice mm-hmm. doing the show, but we are not trained in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> as as I would imagine, a lot of independent podcasters are not trained. Right. So we just talk to one another as we would normally do. But I catch it myself. I 
it's hard for me to listen to the show <laughs> because I hear myself do it and I'm like, God dog, I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I go back and when I'm editing, um, I had to let li- I listen to our show like two or three times um, every episode and I have caught all of my verbal crutches, but some of them you just can't break yourself of. So right. uh, you guys may be stuck with some of these. So, um, but real quick, before we get into it, I want to say um, to go check out the Podbelly Network. Go to podbelly.com. You can find different shows to listen to and some tricks and tips on how to record your own podcast. Um, also, go check out patreon.com slash graveyard tales. You can sign up. Uh, for several different levels of patronage there and you get different things depending on uh, what level you sign up for um, we would give you different bonus material and and uh, send you out a, a thank you letter and all that kind of stuff but go uh, go over there check that out sign up and you can get videos of matt and i recording the episode we recently put out our bonus episode recording on youtube so if you want to see what it's like you can go over there and check that out for free um and and see kind of the the gist of what we give to our ten dollar patrons every week they get a bonus recording of matt and i doing this and it's not edited as much you know you get the mistakes you get the the mess ups when Matt or I just start going because we can't, yeah, our we, tongues get twisted. And right. So go check out uh, patreon.com slash graveyard tales if you want to get some bonus of Matt and I. Also, go check out our YouTube. Um, just mentioned our YouTube channel. You can go over there and check that out. I'd say 99.9% of the time we put up just the audio on there, but it allows you to be able to share. The episode's easier than if you're trying to share a podcast player link or anything like that. And, you know, you can throw it up on your TV while you're doing something at the house. You can throw up our video up there and let it play that way. So go check it out. Um, we got the the every episode, not all of our old episodes, but every one of the new episodes are going up there. Um, so go check that out. Just search Graveyard Tales on YouTube. All right, Matt. So let's talk about tonight's sponsor, Magic Spoon. Now, as you know, and, and probably some of our listeners know, uh, Ashley and I have started going back to the gym again. We we fell out of that during all the lockdowns and all that other mess. Well, we decided we've got to get healthy again. And while you're going back to the gym, one of the things you got to do is also look at what you're eating. And you can't eat all the carbs and the sugar and all the unhealthy foods and stuff that you were because, A, it doesn't help with the working out. And, and B, I'm getting older and that stuff doesn't set well. You know, you, you just don't do well with a lot of sugar in the morning because then you tend to crash and you know with everybody trying to eat better a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring magic spoon has some amazing flavors that you'll love but it doesn't have all the bad stuff in there 
Yeah, and you know, I, I've said this before. My all-time favorite midnight sack is a bowl of cereal. And the, the last thing that anyone really needs to do is to, to get up at night and eat a big sugary bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. Well, Magic Spoon helps with that with zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. That's great. And there's only only 140 calories per serving. Wow. I mean, it's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, soy-free, GMO-free. I mean, you can't ask for a a better alternative to the sugary sweet cereals when, you know, if, if that's what you love for breakfast, Magic Spoon is definitely the way to go. And, you know, Magic Spoon has just released a brand new flavor birthday cake and and along with the rest of their great flavors like cocoa and fruity frosted peanut butter and cinnamon um you know if if that little that little sweet touch is what you need um this birthday cake flavor might just be for you and for all of our listeners in canada magic spoon is now shipping to you guys as well so Graveyard Tales listeners can go to magicspoon.com slash grave, that's G-R-A-V-E, to grab the new limited edition birthday cake or a custom bundle of cereal for you to try today. And be sure to use our promo code GRAVE at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. That's right. Uh, and Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So go to magicspoon.com grave and be sure to use our promo code grave. That's G-R-A-V-E. Now, Matt, that's all of the housekeeping that I've got. So before you tell us what we're talking about, we need to say that as in with our succubus episode, the content of this episode, uh, just due to the nature of the subject matter, may contain some things that you do not want your kids to hear. So I would say preview it first before you let your kids listen to it. Tonight's show does discuss sexual assault, even if it is demonic. If that is a sensitive topic for you, you may want to skip this episode and move on to the next one. We just want everyone to enjoy the show. And if that's sensitive, a sensitive area for you, then please, listener discretion is advised. So, Matt, tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, Adam and I are doing another, another bus show. <laughs> right. But tonight... We're going to be looking into Incubus, okay? It's it's considerably different. Now, Incubus um, is an American rock band from Calabasas, California, huh? and they were- Wait, what? no. That, wrong Incubus, dude. Wait, wrong Incubus. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. 
Not, yeah. Well, I wondered what the hell the Incubus <laughs> band had to do with Graveyard Tape. Ah, great. Now we got to scrap every one of Matt's notes. <laughs> we got to start all over. All right. So, all right, guys, we're going to hit pause here, let Matt go do some research, and then we'll come right back. Good grief. Okay. So, in all seriously, we are talking about <laughs> Incubus or Incubi. Um, this is the male version of the succubus, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Now, there, you may think, oh, y'all are just doing another show that's, you know, the opposite side of the same coin. Kind of. But there are some significant differences beyond just being a male or female entity when we're discussing incubi versus succubi. Um, like I said, distinct differences that make them a little bit different. Uh, they, they have a different historical backstory and they have a different motivation. Right. Although, you know, both are considered to be sexual demons they like i said they have a different drive so that's well, right there you go and so i just you know I'm, this show is going to be full of of, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of of little little easter eggs for the band we're just Hold gonna, the see wheel how many, and many drive. song titles we could throw into this one <laughs> right okay so um let's get let's get into this um Adam's going to tell us a little bit about the uh, the historical background of the Incubus Demon. So, like we always say, go check out our show notes. Um, and you can find all of the links that we use to find this information. And continue the research if you would like. And it's down in the bottom of our show notes. So, uh, go down there. Check out the sources. Um. So we got to first look at what is an incubus. I mean, we looked at what is a succubus, so we got to look at what is an incubus. And like Matt said, they're a pretty good band, um, but what is the demon succubus? So the di dictionary definition of an incubus is it's a demon in male form that seeks to have sexual intercourse with sleeping women. The word incubus is derived from the Latin incubus, which is nightmare, and incubare, which means to lie upon, weigh upon, or brood. And and that's that's already one of the one of the differences. Um, if you recall from the succubus show, you know there were people that uh, described actually being in a relationship with a succubus, right? I mean, like a full on, I'm not really sure. This seems like I'm with a really wonderful, great woman mm -hmm. and she's slowly draining my life force away where incubi prey on sleeping women. And that's, that is a key difference. And that's going to come up later in the show. So right. keep that in mind that, that, you know, we don't really have a lot of, uh, or really any stories of somebody saying, well, I was with this guy for three years, but I think he was an incubus. Yeah, you know, exactly. You don't, you don't have that. Right. 
Now, in modern uh, psychological usage, the term has been applied to the type of nightmare that gives one the feeling of a heavy weight or oppression on the chest and stomach. So this is one of those sleep paralysis demons that people talk about, um, which we will talk a little bit more about that later, too. But um, they want to make a distinct definition here in defining the incubus that there is a relation to sleep paralysis. Now, from another source, this says that an incubus is a demon that enters the dreams of a woman and engages in sexual activity in order to have a child. So it is classified as a male counterpart of the female succubus um, who engaged in sexual um, activity with men like we talked about. Um, But like the succubi, incubi wore out their partners with constant um, sex and would even kill them eventually. So this is usually not a one-time deal. If, if you've got an incubus visiting you, it's going to visit you many times. It's not just going to be a one and done and it moves on. It You will have repetitive encounters with an incubus coming back. Now, in medieval Europe, um, they say that union with an incubus was uh, supposed by some to result in the birth of witches, demons, and deformed human offspring. Um, Apparently, according to legend, the magician Merlin was actually said to have been fathered by an incubus. So, you hear legends throughout history of some supernatural being having intercourse with a female of the human species and that creates a magical being of some sort um the nephilim um Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so with an incubus they say that magicians and and witches and stuff like that come from the spawn of an incubus yeah human with powers Right, right. Whether they're demonic powers or some kind of supernatural power. Right, exactly. Now, here's one of the legends um, about the Incubus that I thought was interesting and um, we can get into here. It says, the origin of this sex demon takes place in Mesopotamia, where the first Incubus, Lilu, existed. Now, Lilu is a male counterpart of Lilith who was a succubus. And we talked about Lilith in the succubus episode. Well, Lilu was the only other one who matched her sexual appetite and vengeance on the children of Adam and Eve for the sting of betrayal. So that was Lilith's male counterpart that then went and wreaked havoc on mankind, um, supposedly there in the Mesopotamian legends. Now, the incubus, um, they say the incubus and succubus are actually the same thing. Um, some legends say that, that it's there's not two separate entities. There's one entity and that they swap genders at specific points. So, for example, this says they would become a uh, become succubi whenever they required the male reproductive um, liquid 
Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying. Good, good, yeah. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, for uh, considering that their life source, um, they would then become incubi and use that same liquid to impregnate women. So many believe that incubi are bisexual, but that would strictly contradict their purpose of impregnation. So they're saying it, it's not not necessarily that an incubi is having relations with everybody in the incubus form. They right. have to change gender so that they can get what they need from the guy and then take that and impregnate a, a woman with it. Um, so I don't know. It, it, the legends surrounding an incubus are, they seem to be a lot more odd than the succubus. They and do. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, but this goes on to say that when a human has intercourse with succubi or incubi over long amounts of time, say at least a month, um, they will start feeling a need for more sexual relations with this demon or go insane from how much life force they have lost. So every time you have relations with one of these, it drains you some like we talked about last time. So it can make you go go insane from it or you just are are basically a shell of a human being. Yeah. This goes on to say that sometimes these demons are able to conceive children, and when they do, they obtain supernatural abilities and be can become extremely persuasive, like we were talking about just a little bit ago. These human incubi or succubi hybrids are called cambion, C-A-M-B-I-O-N. And unless the incubus slept with a succubus, then the succubi will give birth to a new incubus or succubus. So if they procreate with a human, then that is a cambion. But if they procreate with another demon, incubus or succubus, then they just create another incubus or succubus. Well, that kind of contradicts this idea that they are just one entity. Mm -hmm. Un unless, you know, one of them's looking at the other one going, all right, you're going to be the girl tonight. You right. Know, or I something mean, like that. Well, it's but, like uh, uh, sea cucumbers or whatever. They, you know, they become what they need to become to reproduce. Maybe. And I don't maybe know. that's it. I, I don't know. The legends for this one, like I said, are so odd and, and so contradictory to one another that it yeah. makes it hard to say, okay, here's what the real one is and here's the, the wild outlandish part. And, you know, so many of these legends are are based around really, really old writings that may or may not have been misinterpreted, mistranslated, or just flat out misunderstood. Exactly. And so over centuries, the legends change. And I think that that in and of itself causes some confusion when we start looking at this in the modern day going back and going, well, 
what what is it? What are they getting at? Well, centuries of these these legends just begin to blend together. So it's really difficult to to pin down one being right, one being wrong. It, it's usually just a a weird conglomeration of all of these legends that you know we had we had them mentioned in this writing and this, and we had them mentioned here. And then 200 years later, we had this writing mm-hmm. that said this, this, and this. So it becomes difficult. And, but for the, for the, you know, for the part of our discussion, we're, we're, we're going to assume that they're two separate things. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's why, you know, like Matt said, there's so much that that's why we're kind of compiling as many of the facts quote unquote, about the incubus that we can give you, um, even if some contradict the other, just so that you're well informed. Um, but like Matt said, we're we're assuming that the succubus is one entity and the incubus is another entity. And we hope we can make some sense out of all of this by the time we get to the end of it. So I, I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. But <laughs> it rarely happens on this show. Yeah, right. Um <laughs> So this next bit comes from uh, mythology.net. Um, I found an interesting physical description from here that I, I, I wanted to share. And it says, like many mythological villains, incubi have been glamorized in recent decades. Today, they appear as young men with perfectly etched muscles, powerful wings, and long, suggestive tails. Long suggestive tail. What could they be suggesting? <laughs> I don't understand. Now, but in the past, these nocturnal fiends were far from attractive. It says the original incubi were small creatures with faces like a monkey or a gargoyle. They usually had dark skin or fur, claws, horns, and bat-like wings. And when they weren't flying through the dead of night, they crawled, climbed, and sat in hunched positions. Unsurprisingly, they say they also had exaggerated genitals. So, because of the nature of what they are, the the drawings were exaggerated there. Yeah. Um, and when I read this, I immediately thought of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the flying monkeys. Yeah. Yep. And and you can kind of just picture that as what, you know, maybe a little meaner looking, not so cuddly. And that, that would be one of the original depictions of an incubus. But you can kind of see, like, like we talked about with the succubus, the incubus started out as a very hideous, grotesque creature that you wanted nothing to do with. And then through pop culture, it has merged into something sexy and, and they've got, you know, the men with the raging muscles and, and probably the really long, thick tails and, you know, used in, in romance novels as something to desire. Um, it, It had to, had to be shaped into something that would be attractive to most women. So something very muscular and, and, you know, a good old hard bodied, uh, weight lift and ding dong. <laughs> sure. Ding dongs. What you want to say? <laughs> I'm leaving. <it. laughs> 
So let's look at the supposed personality of the incubi. And this says incubi are famous for their insatiable lust. Now, these demons are so crazed for intercourse that their human partners can literally die of exhaustion after too many of these midnight visits. Um, Now, incubi can also be violent, and many victims describe the demons sitting on their chest or covering their mouths so that they couldn't breathe or scream. So I think this is where we kind of fall into the sleep paralysis demon that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but um, it's, and it's interesting to point out here too, that, you know, the, the incubus is uh, aggressive mm -hmm. and, and the succubus, you know, based on literature is, is more seductive and, and cunning where an incubus is more forceful where I'm going to I'm going to take what I want where a succubus is more more or less I'm going to seduce what I want out of you. Right. Right. And that that is a good thing to note as we look at the differences in these two um now, th- this talks about some of its special abilities. Uh, they say when an incubus arri- uh, arrives to have intercourse with a woman um, he takes precautions to prevent her from interfering so he might put her in a trance um, so that she's unable to wake up or paralyze her so that she can't even cry out for help Um, now like we said the incubus uh, might try to impregnate the woman Um, interestingly it says the incubus itself is incapable of reproducing so like we talked before it has to collect the um, fluids to be able to do that. Now, there's another version of the origin that I wanted to talk about. And it says cultures all over the world have sexually driven demons. Now, native Amazonian people believe in the Boto, which is a pink river dolphin that turns into a male uh, sex maniac at night. Um, and the Chilean people, uh, people believe in the Trauco, which is a dwarf who seduces um, young virgins. Swedish people tell stories of a nocturnal horse which rides um, on its victim's chest at night while their Germanic neighbors fear the Alp, um, who actually sits on young women. Now, in South Africa, the Tokolosh stalks virgin women. And the Tokolosh is actually a cryptid that's on my list of cryptids that I want to do because it has more involved in it than just what they're saying here. Um, and you can, if you were to go to South Africa and mention the Tokolosh to people, a lot of people know what a Tokolosh is. Like if you were to talk about just say incubus to somebody here, they go, Oh yeah. You know, they, they know that legend. It's, it is it is funny that I, I guess because of the sex thing, they include the Tokolosh in this uh this comparison, but you know, the Tokolosh is not a demon. It's it's no. a it's a physical it's a physical being. Yeah. It it has some like you said, the 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 sex part of the mythology, and then it does have some like quote unquote supernatural powers 
but it is something that supposedly lives there. It's not, you know, just coming to stalk people there. Yeah. Yeah. If it's going to go find another victim, it's got to call an Uber or something. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Now, the first written record of an incubus, um, they say, appears in none other than the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, which is widely considered to be the first the first work of fiction ever written. Now, in Gilgamesh, the hero's father is described as a Lilu, um, a magical being who impregnates women while they are asleep. Now, this is still, it's impossible to say that the idea of a nocturnal sex demon started with Gilgamesh because these sorts of legends are so widespread that they probably arose separately in cultures all over the world, and it's impossible to know which one came first. So, Matt, that that brings me to that thing that we talked about last time with the succubus. It's very weird to me when people say that this almost exact same thing evolved in the minds of disparate cultures around the world. Right. And it just so happens to be exactly the same. So that makes me think once again, is there something that these legends are based on that everybody would have had contact with? Exactly. And we've discussed this before, where during a period of time where travel was difficult and, and in some some ways impossible because of the ge- uh, geography that separated these cultures, how would they know? How would they have shared these stories from one to another that some some explorer comes back from you know, the far East and says, I learned about these creatures that attack women at night and have sex with them. And then that story spawns to a whole new creature or entity in another culture. The time frame that we're discussing where these things are brought up, it, it doesn't, there's so many different stories that it doesn't fit that there would be a way for all of these cultures to have communicated during this time. So right. Adam's got a legitimate point. What what was it that fueled these legends? I mean, there was what there's like one or two people in, in all these cultures that just said, hey, I'm going to write a story about a, a creature that, you know, attacks women at night. Mm hmm. And just randomly, they're all about the same. Um, So let's look at some modern appearances of incubi. Um, And they say they're popular in fantasy and paranormal romance genres, um, like I mentioned earlier. Now, Stephen King, Stephanie Meyer, and Orson Scott Card have all used incubi or succubi in their works of fiction. And this says the demon uh, has also lent its name to a popular rock band. Uh, which we talked about. So nowadays, modern times, you say incubus, the first thing people think about is the band. You know, before that band started, you could say incubus, and and the first thing people thought about was the demon um, and the legends of the demon. But now you say it, and the first thing people think about is the band every Mm -hmm. time. Now, let's real quick look at one of the supposed explanations for what 
um, the incubus is and discuss it a little bit. This says that undoubtedly incubi were once used to cover up cases of assault. So I can see that, you know, being used in that that way. Uh, This is, however, there may be a less sinister explanation for the worldwide popularity of these creatures. They say that a sleeping disorder called sleep paralysis can mimic all of the signs of an incubus encounter. Scientists estimate that 60% of people will experience sleep paralysis at least once in their life, which could explain why, quote, incubus attacks were so common throughout history. This goes on to say that sleep paralysis occurs when a person wakes up from REM sleep, but their body remains in a sleep-like state. Although the person is fully conscious, his muscles remain immobile, just like they are during REM sleep. The person might also experience pressure on his chest and a feeling of suffocation since the body's pulse and breath rate is slower, as in REM sleep. But the most terrifying symptom of all is the hypnagogia or hypnagogia, a multisensory hallucination which can conjure up visions, smells, sounds, and extreme emotions of fear and euphoria. It says with all of these symptoms put together, sleep paralysis may be the closest thing to a demonic encounter that a person can have. So I get I get that explanation, and I guarantee, you know, I'm not trying to say that that never happens because, I, you know, I, I can guarantee that that is a thing that happens. Um, scientifically, it does. But I know in my experience, this doesn't fit. And then my other argument to it that I wanted to ask you, Matt, we have a generalized description of what incubi are right even even long ago we have this description so this goes into the mass hallucination argument that i don't like how is everybody hallucinating the same thing so if it says what um 60 percent of people that mm-hmm. uh of the people in the world are going to have this. So you're telling me all 60% of them hallucinate about the same thing. You know, how how is that? How is that possible? I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, I I think, I, I think they're saying that because these hallucinations during sleep paralysis can be so real, so vivid, even to the point of, as you said, beyond visions, smells and sounds, along with the emotion, they can mimic a sexual encounter with someone that's not there or something that's not there. Now, not everybody is going to have that kind of encounter. I mean, you know, know, we've talked about your issues with it in the past and you know you didn't experience anything like this no and i'd have to say that for most of the males that experience sleep paralysis they're certainly not all going to say they were visited by an incubus and even though sleep paralysis was used as 
one of the possible ex- explanations for a succubus encounter. It wasn't as driven home as this is what it is. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, does that make sense? With with all of the incubus research, this was this was widely the most common right explanation for it. Right. I mean, hands down, there's there's nothing anything else is a distant second. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's well, true. When we when we researched the succubus, it wasn't that case. It it was this is a possible explanation for it along with maybe a few others. Yep. But it definitely wasn't like the this is it. Like you hear with incubus encounters that this mm. is this is it. And they they don't come up with a lot of other explanations or, or possible explanations for what someone could be experiencing that right. thought they were interacting with an incubus. So I I I don't agree that everybody would be experiencing the same thing but i think that there is a possibility that a, a good portion of them are i mean everybody's had some type of sexually fueled dream and if you were to wake up and and be experiencing sleep paralysis and that dream somehow push into a hallucination I could see where that might be mistaken as an incubus encounter. Sure. But so many, there's so many little things, and I'm going to get into a case study uh, here in just a, a few minutes, where it, it just doesn't seem to it fit. It, it, it's, it, we're really, in a lot of cases, we're shoving a square peg into a round hole. Right. And, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good explanation for a large uh, a large portion of the encounters, but I I don't think it's going to fit all of them. Yep, and and I agree with pretty much everything except my one disagreement would say I I wouldn't say that it would be a large portion. You know, I I would be a little more conservative in my estimate of how many that it would explain, and I'd say probably less than half that it would fit the. Um, type of encounter someone has and the possibility that that is an explanation for it. And you um, may be right. What the actual explanation for the other is, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't have an answer for that, but I just feel like sleep paralysis is used too often for too many things to explain it. Yeah. It's the, it's the low hanging fruit of encounters like this, just like swamp gas and owls are yeah. for aliens. It's an easy out. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And and on this topic, there there actually is a condition called incubus syndrome, which is characterized by a delusional belief in in female persons of being sexually approached by an unforeseen person. Um and it's rarely described in literature and the description of incubus syndrome is limited to just a, a few isolated case reports so it's it's not something it's not something used freely this incubus syndrome even even if sleep paralysis is, is a common 
uh, explanation. It, it, this incubus syndrome, which is very similar, you just you don't see it that often. Now, this is a case study that I found about a 45-year-old woman who actually came to the emergency room with uh, organophosphorus poisoning. That's that's what she arrived with. Huh. Okay. Now, the evaluation of her medical history revealed that she was suffering from a psychotic disorder since she was 25. Now, her illness was characterized by delusion. Uh, It says delusion of reference, delusion of persecution, delusion of control, poor socialization, poor self-care and apathy. So she says since the age of 36, she started to experience that someone was having sexual intercourse with her at night. Now, she says as the as she would lie down both during the daytime and the nighttime, which is kind of you know out of uh out of tradition when we're looking at these legends, she could feel that someone was touching her, kissing her, and caressing and fondling different areas of her body. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about these is that a lot of these women that explain these encounters can actually pinpoint different places on their body where they're being touched. Not a matter of, well, I just felt like someone was touching me. It was like, I could, I could feel, I could feel something touching me here and here and here separately. Mm -hmm. So to, to be able to actually pinpoint and say, someone was pushing down on my shoulders or touching my hips or something like that. That's, that's very specific. Right. Now, this particular patient said that she would wake up in the middle of sleep after, just after a few hours of sleeping and feel that someone had had sexual intercourse with her. Now, she held this belief um, with conviction and she would attribute these experiences to black magic. Now, it says that she was very distressed and would often feel guilty as she says it was against her sociocultural belief to have sexual intercourse with anyone other than her spouse. Now, in this particular case, this patient was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was managed with a medication called Respiradone, and her symptoms resolved. So, in this particular case, it, it would seem like she was having a, a a psychotic episode. Right, right. And and these were the hallucinations she was having. But again, this case doesn't fit with all of the cases. Right. And even though some of the women that have have been brave enough to come forward and, and report on these things. The encounter is not always a negative thing. 
you know, sometimes they they describe, you know, feeling very, very loved and and very desired. Um, other women feel like they're they're being attacked and it's very violent and forceful. So they they aren't all the same. And I you know, when you when you hear stories like this and there's variations, I I, I have a hard time just putting them in a in a in a box and saying, yep, all of these go right here. This mm-hmm. fits just very nicely in this box. Well, I think the box is overflowing and some of the stuff that's fallen out is not going to fit back in there. I mean, it right. just, there's, there's too many differences. Um, so moving, moving on from this, you know, we're, we're really going to get into some more, more specifics here. Um, because an incubus can become fixated on a particular victim, uh, as Adam mentioned earlier, some women have died from exhaustion after being visited by the same incubus demon over and over and over. Now, Adam mentioned earlier that the, in the earliest work of fiction we know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, it, it is said uh, the incubus is mentioned. And even in some traditions, an incubus demon is able to put its uh, victim in a trance so that they can't move or they're unable to call for help. But one study looking into this found as many as 11% of people have had an experience in their lifetime that could be described similarly to an attack by an incubus. 11%. Wow. So, to, you know, look, we're without being very graphic here, I would say the majority of our listeners are adults. They all remember being teenagers and, and hormones raging. So we all know the things that you can dream about and, and how that can feel. These people that are describing these attacks, these 11 people, these 11% of people that will describe something very similar to an incubus attack, they know the difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's much more than just a dream. Right. right. And, you know, most of the time with these type of dreams, you know the other person. You know, it's yeah, it's right. someone it's it's someone that you've met, it's someone that you have a crush on, you know, it's your your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh but there's there's a difference there than just having a you know a very passionate dream to believing that you are actually engaged in sexual intercourse with another entity right and most of the time those dreams don't don't turn into or make you feel like it was a demonic presence of any sort yeah or- you know you you wake up and realize what it was, that it was a dream and that it was, like you said, somebody you knew or somebody you wished you knew or something like that. It, it's not, you know, holy crap, that was demonic. Yeah. One con- And you may have found this too, Adam, but one common thread I found in a lot of these stories is the being spoken to. This recurring theme of being told we love you 
we care for you. We, mm-hmm. We're looking out for you. We want to protect you. We desire you so much. We love you so much. That is a very common uh, thread through all of these encounters that people have have uh, have documented. Right. And the we part is creepy. The we part is creepy. And one particular one was was where a lady was describing this encounter. And she said. It was not a single entity. It was multiple entities, but together they were one. Right. Right. So it's it's like that idea of 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 legion. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about. We are legion. Right. So multiple demons that uh, create one one single entity, mm-hmm. almost like Voltron, you know, they, <laughs> they all come together yeah. and they're one big giant robot. <laughs> Captain Planet. Yeah, that's right. So. So let's well, let's let's go ahead. Let's get into some of these stories. I had some other stuff to discuss. We'll do that later. Let's talk about some of these experiences since we're going down this road. Now, these are two that I managed to uh, to come across. These were two very individual experiences. They were were shared on Reddit. Um, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read them essentially verbatim uh, without being as as graphic as some of these may be. So this first one says about three years ago, I visited my parents in the Philippines. They live in a big house in a quiet province away from the city. After a long flight from L.A. and another flight to another island, I took a nap in one of the many rooms that they had. It was about mid-afternoon. I was awoken to someone caressing my hair like it was moving away from my face. I didn't care at first because I was so tired and didn't rationalize the situation yet. Then I felt someone kiss my lips. I still remember because I felt moist lips kiss me gently while it put its hand behind my back to an arch. Only then did I realize that something was off. I was too scared to open my eyes because I didn't want to know I was awake. I thought it was a real person who had broken in. When I suddenly had the courage to open my eyes, it was a bluish clear figure on top of me. It was broad daylight. I couldn't and didn't want to look at him in the eyes. He just disappeared after 10 seconds. I was freaked out and didn't go back to sleep that day and ended up sleeping on a couch in my parents' room. I was around 25 at that time. I don't do drugs or drink. Nothing could have altered my experience. And this is from Reddit user, uh, no cake for you. So in, in this experience, you know, this person actually explains that she saw something when she opened her eyes and it does seem like she was fully aware of what was going on, you know, once it began to register to her. Mm-hmm. So could it have been a dream? Sure. And and I've had pretty realistic dreams where you, you wake up and you're worried something's happened to one of your children or or that someone was in the house, something like that. And it takes you a few minutes to kind of clear up and realize, okay, that was a dream and none of that is real. Mm-hmm. 
But for the most part, you get to that point, that realization where it was just a dream. And it doesn't seem that she ever gets to that point because she can remember actively not wanting to open her eyes and then opening right. her eyes and realizing where she was. I, mean, I understand she's not in she's not in a place that she's familiar with. So she's she's out of her own element, but yet was fully aware of where she was. You know, when you talk to people about sleepwalking cases and things like that, they don't understand that they're in a different place. You know, my sister was, um, you know, my sister dealt with, uh, with sleepwalking, especially if she was out of town in a different place. You know, it was unusual. You know, so it, it happens. But when you realize, hey, I'm, I'm in a different place. You know, like, okay, I know where I'm at. She doesn't go into that. Right. You know, she right. always knew I'm I'm not at, at where I am. I understand where I am and I understand that there's this blue thing on top of me. Mhm. That's the that's the part that you then realize that it is something supernatural in that sense is there is a bluish clearish type figure. Right. You know, it, it's not a fully formed person. Right. And that that's what makes it uh, puts it into that realm of could most likely be an incubus of some sort. Yeah. Now, this next one is interesting. It says, I was in a dark place and there was some kind of ritual going on. These two people threw me down into a coffin that was in an open grave and then something had me by the waist and raped me. I actually woke up out of this with that sensation while drifting back to sleep. I kept hearing this voice saying things like I've loved you from afar. So long. I adore you. Just let me love you, please. He said it over and over and over again, just begging me. I kept getting flooded with these warm, fuzzy, lovey dovey images. While this was happening, I heard another voice say, don't fall for it. It will use whatever means it can think of to try and get your consent. It will lie to you. It will guilt you. It will imitate past lovers in order to get to you. Just tell it to go away. So with a great deal of struggle, I was able to tell it to go away. And this was from Reddit user uh, Zombeethoven. It's like zombie and Beethoven smushed together. Yeah, zombie Toven. <laughs> this is what happens when the name you want is already taken, and <laughs> you have to keep making variation. Right. So that that has that theme that we discussed earlier that 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 an incubus will will tell you things like "I love you," "I've loved you for so long," "I can take care of you," "Just let me love you," you know, "I adore you." Those kind of remarks. They're not isolated to this particular story. They're they're much more common. And then that that voice that's telling her, don't listen to this. These are lies. They're going to lie to you. They're going to do whatever they can to manipulate you, to gain your consent, to, mm. to have you um, open up to them, because ultimately that's that's what they want. You know, right. they, they they want to control you. 
Now, an, another thing that I came across that we didn't see with the succubus is this idea that an incubus could actually possess a human. And I don't know if you saw that in your research, Adam, but this idea that an incubus could actually possess another male and then yeah. pursue a female. Yep. And I came across that once or twice. It was it, it, it was so weird um, because, like you said, we didn't see that with the succubus at all. But if, if Which, we're talking, yeah, if we're talking about demonic entities, then that's that's got to be on the table, right? Right, right, and and that's what I was going to say is which points to a it's a separate entity beyond the succubus. They're not the same entity, and b it is a demonic entity. So if if you are involved with an incubus, or or if you feel like you've been possessed by an incubus, there are strategies to rid yourself of this. Now, the strategies come from the Malaeus Maleficarum, which is translated uh, as yeah. the Hammer of Witches. Yep. Now, now, the Malaeus Maleficarum, we've mentioned on the show before in the past, it is a German writing on witchcraft from the 16th century, which is a detailed manual used extensively during witch hunts of the time. Now, in the section headed, here follows the way whereby witches copulate with those devils known as incubi. The authors make it clear that they were concerned with actual diabolical sexual experiences rather than fantasies. So what that's saying is these writers were talking about an actual being. They were not talking about women who were suffering from any kind of emotional distress, mental illness, anything like that. They were talking or, or, or just fantasies. They were talking about an actual entity. Right. Right. So what do you do? What do you do at this point? And, and they lay it out. Number one, exorcism. So getting a priest to perform an exorcism is historically how someone would overcome being attacked by an incubus demon. Although, in, in contrast to the Malaeus Maleficarum, at least one Christian priest, Ludovico Maria Sinistrari, has argued that this would not work because incubus demons do not obey exorcists, have no dread of exorcisms, show no reverence for holy things, uh, and the approach that you would use, that it doesn't phase them at all. Right, right. So the, the next one is, is confession. Uh, attending confession with a priest regularly can prevent you from being a victim of any kind of spiritual warfare, including an incubus demon. I understand this was written in the 16th century, and we have seen plenty of cases that were documented about demonic possession, uh, whether it be of a person or a location where going to confession didn't necessarily get rid of it. And in some cases made it worse. Yep. Yep. So I, I, I don't know about this, but again, we're talking about something that was written in the 16th century and, you know, con confession was, 
it's it it's not what it wasn't considered it was considered more sacred and and powerful maybe than it is today. I don't know. I'm I'm I think I'm speaking out of turn here really. Um but it was it was different than it is in the modern day. I I, I can at least I can at least say that. Right. Right. Um, the next one is making the sign of the cross or saying a Hail Mary. So blessing yourself by moving your hand from forehead to belly to heart to the right side of your chest while saying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen, um, would would be sufficient to protect you from an incubus attack. But again, we're we're looking at, you know, religious leaders that are you know, describing ways to prevent this demonic attack. So Mm -hmm. everything is going to be tilted that way. This one, though, is interesting. Switching locations, you know, leaving the place where an incubus demon had previously visited you could help prevent it from happening again. So that to me seems to tie a, a demon, an incubus demon to a specific location. Yeah. If if you seems to be more of a haunting type than a um um demon that can go all places. Yeah. Or or that was just where the incubus dwelled. Yep, that's true. And if you leave it, the incubus stays and just waits for another victim. Mm-hmm. It's that is kind of uh I don't know, that that contradicts the the nature of the incubus a little bit to me because they target a victim and they and they pursue that particular victim. So the idea was is that the incubus was somehow closer tied to the victim than it would be its location. And then if the victim left and that was their object of, of desire, then they were going to go wherever it went. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you were going to have it's to like, do a lot more than just pack up and leave to escape an incubus. Yeah. It's like the succubus. It was it would follow its victim. Right. And that that's kind of what I was seeing in the um in the incubus research too, like you said, is is that it it's attached to a person for a reason, whatever reason it has. And I don't see how moving, just relocating would save you from that if it's already attached itself to you. Yeah. The last one of these recommendations is excommunicating the demon, which is similar to exorcism, but would be used in in its place if the incubus demon demon was possessing the body of a human instead of possessing its own form. Yeah. So uh, the example here would be a, a female is being pursued by a male and it's not a, a typical human pursuit you know it's gone much much further than that where an incubus would have possessed the body of a male to use the perhaps someone that you know you found attractive or someone that you knew and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden their their attention becomes much more sexualized um that could be because they were possessed by an incubus Again, take these for what you will. They were written in the 16th century. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, the the idea of the incubus is is similar, but not exactly the same as the succubus. They are not necessarily two sides of the same coin as the the 
analysis I made, uh, the analogy I made at the beginning of the show. There are there are significant differences and how you would react, you know, how how their behavior is is a lot different. And that's why we decided we would do this second show based on just the incubus as opposed to the succubus because we didn't feel like we really covered you know much about the differences between the two mm-hmm. beyond just being the male or the female version it's you know it's interesting i i, I don't know i'm i'm on the fence with the whole incubus and succubus thing um yeah i'll tell you something that's come out in the last few years are these celebrities that bring up the fact that they feel like they've had some type of relations with a ghost. Yeah. It, when you, and, and, and during this research, those things came up. Oh yeah. You know, specific, you know, uh, celebrities who had actually come forward and said that they felt like they had had some type of encounter with a, a sexual encounter with a ghost. It, it does make you wonder is it really a ghost? Right, right. Is exactly. It, if if an incubus can can lie, can mimic past lovers, other yep. people, maybe someone that you had thought about or dreamed about. If an incubus has that ability, then perhaps an incubus can just make itself appear to you however it wants and one. Well, there was that one desire. story about the the blue ethereal mm-hmm. being that you had uh, that came from Reddit. So, I mean, that could be interpreted as a ghost by some people. Um, but before we ask you guys what y'all think, here here's one thing I'm thinking. I I honestly, the more research we've done on this and all that, I feel like. The incubus and the succubus are not their own demon. I feel like they are demons in that sense, but they're demons that are involved in demonic activity doing certain things. And they're just classified because of what they're doing. People classify them. Oh, this is a succubus. This is an incubus because of what they're doing. And it could be the same demon doing this to one person and doing something totally different to another person. I feel like it's demonic activity, but not necessarily, you know, these are sex demons. Right. Solely sex demons. You know, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And and I think. You make a valid point that this may just be an aspect of demonic behavior, and it's not yep. a separate, specific entity that's right. purely focused here. And and the reason why I agree with you is going back to the Smurl family. Mm-hmm. You know, they were believed to have lived in a house that was possessed by a demon, you know, poltergeist act type activity. And, and a part of that story is that Mr. Smurl was attacked by a succubus multiple right. times and that had several different forms that it would take 
when he would have those experiences. That's all wrapped into the the haunting that they they had in that in that particular house. So either you're going to say, well, that house just had multiple demons in it, or that was just one aspect of the demon that was haunting that house. Right. Right. That That's kind of what I believe. And, and so I I'm with you. I, I, in fact, I really like that idea as opposed to we're, we're going to assign these traits to specific entities Mm-hmm. I like the idea that this is this is more or less just another aspect of demonic behavior. Right. Right. It's like people have different activities that they do throughout the day. You know, you're not you go to work, but you don't come home and do the same thing at home that you did at work. So that may be a bad analogy, but it's like. You know, they they do different things all for the purposes of corrupting humans or hurting humans, but they take different tax depending on which what person they're they're going after. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Um, Do you agree with Adam and I that maybe this is just part of demonic behavior do do you think maybe there are specific demons that this is this is their primary trait is you know sexual encounters with humans whether it be for reproduction or it's just their nature or or do you think this is a lot of hooey do you think that these are these are stories that were fabricated centuries ago and they've just changed and amplified over the years that pop culture has pushed them, you know, forward. What what do you think? Let us know. One of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. Um you can find us on Facebook, just search Graveyard Tales. Our our group is is fantastic. We have so many so many members, well over 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um it's a safe place to share these kind of stories. You're you're not going to be picked at, made fun of, called crazy or anything like that. You know, you when you share these kind of experiences, you know, some story that your great grandfather told or something like that. We we want to hear them, and this is a really good place to do it. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and as I say, Adam is the chief tweeter around here. Um, I do my best. <laughs> And you can, uh, while you're doing that, you can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can learn a little bit more about Adam and myself. And you can become a patron. And we always take time to thank everyone who has donated to the show. Um, You know, becoming a patron uh, really, really helps us out because... There are some costs that are incurred with doing this show, but it it allows us to keep putting out bigger and better content for you guys. We really, really do appreciate the support. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. That is the easiest way for the show to come up the charts. And it, it does make Adam and I feel better, but it also makes the show easier to find, which just brings more people into the graveyard. So exactly until next time. We'll save you a seat 
in the graveyard. See you soon. You hear legends. I just punched my mic. Um, you know, Matt, it is hard to uh, do this content in a PG-13 manner. I know it. I was thinking of a way you could have said it, like, you know, naval naval cadets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the people on ships and for the Navy, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew it was wrong. Like a lot of the things I say. <laughs>